Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. Today, we had the amazing opportunity to sit with our good, good friend, Jose Gutierrez, an amazing photographer and fellow Latino. And we deep dove into his story of coming from a pretty religious background and what it was like to come from that space and find inner peace and self-love for his homosexual identity in a world that is imbued with narratives that are constantly encouraging anybody that is not heteronormative to hate themselves, essentially. And this has many, 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 many mental health implications for so many people around the world. So we really felt that this was a really important conversation to bring into the podcast. We love Jose and are so thankful that he was so open and raw with this conversation. A lot of people need to hear this. Just bring in more compassion for experiences that are not your own. And I encourage everyone to send this podcast to someone who you think will aid them maybe in their process of coming out or maybe parents who have children who are coming out. We all need to hear each other's stories to know that there's more than one way of being human. And with that, Pretty Mental family, take in a deep breath with us. And tune in. It is February 18th, 2021. We are calling on all of our angels, all of our ancestors, our spirit guides, our gods. We are calling over everyone who watches over us and everyone who watches over our community and everyone that they come in contact with. We are opening ourselves up as open, clean, clear channels for whatever messages are asking to come through. For the highest healing of our planet, for the highest healing of our community, for the highest healing of everyone who comes in contact with these words. We are calling in our highest wisdom, our highest selves, our highest intelligence, our highest love, to bring in the energy of equanimity and wisdom for the highest healing, the highest good, and the highest levels of connection and community for everybody that listens to this podcast, asking that this message arrives to whoever needs to hear it and that it will bring forth the healing that it needs to. We are open. Jose. What is up? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I've never been on a podcast, so this is really cool. Jose is our for our one of our closest friends, and he's also an incredible artist, incredible photographer. 
holy shit i forget you're out here just not talking about it and then i look at your instagram and i'm like who this is do you know i'm sorry do you know how good you are you are so talented oh yeah i'm the best i'm the best no no i'm just kidding no uh compliments you know how how do you i mean paula i'm sure you know people tell you you're like an amazing artist because i feel just the same way about your stuff you know your colors and like every like when i go into your apartment i was like did you make that did you make that did you make that and you're like yeah i did it (laughs) it's yeah it's a part of who you are but you're at the same time you're so multi-faceted right like you just got a master's degree so yeah fully fully rounded human being I know. Yeah, it's what's wild is that it's not you don't walk around like you the identity of an artist, which all of us have multiple identities, but you really don't you don't walk around saying mm-hmm. like what you're and then I see your work and every single time it gets me, I'm like, this is like historical shit. I, well, show, I show your actually I show your page to so many people. This I am. Funny. I am humbled. Um, no, I, I really appreciate the love. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where like it's it's such a heavy burden carrying like one identity all the time you know uh which is why people say like why aren't you like a full-time artist or why don't you you know like have your own photography business and honestly like there's just one of those there's things in your life where you just want it to feel like an escape an oasis where you just kind of like shut off from the rest of the world and just do whatever comes naturally through your body and in my case is my eyes you know what I mean like whatever I think and see it's it's one of those reasons where I I keep it so sacred and in private which is why like I don't like say oh I'm a photographer like I'm Jose the photographer you know it's it's one of those things like if it comes naturally in a conversation then I'll present it you know, oh yeah, I do, I do photography too, you know, or I, I like this too. It's a practice. It's a practice for you. And I mean, art, the whole expression of art, really humanity's original relationship with it was very much a spiritual exploration practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was more than production. It's just, we're so production centered in this culture that that's why people want to say, you know, why isn't, why don't you make that a full-time job? And it's, it, it might evolve into that at some point, but primarily what it is for you as I'm hearing it is it's a spiritual Zen meditative practice. Exactly. I mean, if it gets to that point, I'm open, you know, so. Well, the reason, the primary reason that I, we thought of you for this podcast episode is because we've had so many conversations um, about behind the scenes with you, Jose, about the impact that religion played on your mental health and your sexual identity development. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I see coming up for people in my practice, religious trauma popping up left and right. And Mm -hmm. especially when you come from certain cultures and certain religious traditions that are a little bit, bit more fundamentalist, like Catholicism, there's a big, I mean, there's, there's so many implications for mental, for the mental health of individuals who are not heteronormative. And so I just, you know, I wanted to get your story on here and just give us some insights into what your healing journey has been navigating all of that. Yeah. It's been a, a cumulative journey because everything just added up 
to the point where I couldn't carry it anymore. So in terms of my identity, I always knew that I was different, but I didn't have the word for that experience. There was nothing gay in my family, right? There was, there was nothing that I can see where I can be like, uh-huh, like that, that is what I am or that is who I am. Um, but I, I have this memory in my head and it's, and it's funny in a way because my mom, she was, you know, at that time when I was maybe like six or seven, she was learning how to speak English and she had this book and the book had all these pictures and under the pictures had English words, right? So she can associate the words with the picture. And there was like a really like muscular guy <laughs> in in the in the book, and I was like, oh my god, like I, like this is, I'm attracted to it, but I couldn't I couldn't understand what this moment was, and I was under the bed too, like I was just flipping through all her books, and then as I got older and just started kind of maturing within school, the girls were cool, but you know I always thought the the boys were pretty you know the boys were more attractive but at home and within my religion you know i was raised catholic any sort of image or tv personality anything really that expressed homosexuality it was laughed upon it was you know this really rare occurrence that happens in humanity right so i used to believe that everything was straight for the longest time you know, and there there were moments where I feel now that I look back at it, I think my parents have always known that I was different. And it was almost like they were trying to pause that development, especially my dad, by putting me in soccer. So any anything that I wanted to do that was artistic or whether it was like music or you know what I mean? Like anything that was not considered blue straight up masculine like straight up masculine like heavy dosage of masculinity it was almost like frowned upon or just kind of like patted on the back sort of thing like okay you can draw cool but I, I really want you to kick a ball my dad grew up playing soccer right and I really tried to be straight is what I tell people I really did you know it, it even even through high school it was super hard because then that's where your body starts to change right and it's also in Catholicism where you should be becoming a more solid, grounded member. And I was having such a hard time with that because my parents really wanted me to do confirmation, right? Really to confirm my attachment to Catholicism, right? I did, I was baptized um, with no choice of mine, right? And then I did my first communion. And the biggest thing for me was like the word God. Everybody in my family talked about how amazing this, it, it was always a different definition, you know, a different, a different uncle or a different aunt had a definition for God, right? And so like in my head, it was just like a, a ball, like a, a ball of light, you know, with a penis, because he was a man, right? And so it was like, if he's so, if he is so great, like, why am I going through this? Like, why am I in this religion? And why was I chosen to be a part of this community? that dislikes me so much, you know, because it wasn't just here and there in the household. It was, you know, among my friends, among, you know, church members, right? Everyone who was getting married was straight, right? So I really, I tell, I told my dad when I came out, I was like, you know, I really tried it all. Like I really did my best to blend in, 
right? But in trying to blend in, you know, when I when I came out March of 2019, I felt like a blank piece of paper because all I did was constructed the paper, but nothing was ever written on it. You know, so I had this really grown formed body, but inside of me, when I opened up that box, it was like, who am I? And from a mental health perspective, I was so deassociated. From that moment on and leading to it, I was detached from reality. You started yeah. dissociating. Oh yeah, big time. Okay. And I ran to a counselor and I was like, am I schizophrenic? You know, like, am I, am I going crazy? Like, why is it that when I look in the mirror, I, I can't connect? You know, it was almost like, you know, like when you look in the mirror and you, you look, you look at yourself directly in the eye, it was almost like it, this experience where like, it wasn't, it was never direct. Was it like every, was it rooted when you're talking about the blank piece of paper metaphor, was it kind of rooted in that everything you had constructed yourself to be, to fit into a certain description of who mm -hmm. you should be, wasn't who you were. So yeah. then by the time you looked at yourself, you couldn't, you just couldn't recognize what was in front of you. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so then I guess that put you under so much psychological stress that you started, it started feeling like dissociation. Oh yeah. Big time. Because what I was afraid of was taking responsibility for what it means to be a gay person, not just within my family, but in the world, because I've seen documentaries of, you know, that's, there's one that stands in my mind. I can't remember it. It's on Netflix, but it's about the AIDS epidemic and how everyone who was gay had AIDS and they were dying. So I was like, well, if I become gay, because, you know, it, at, that, at that moment, it was like, it has to be a choice. There's no way in hell that it's not a choice because of the way it was just presented to me. And I was like, well, if I become gay, will I get AIDS? Will I be statistic? Right. So it was like this really direct correlation in my head. Right. I would see like videos of people get in, you know, in Africa getting beat and burned from being gay. Right. When I was Googling things that happened to gay people, like I remember being like 12 and 13 and be like, what happens if you're gay? Like, just like out of curiosity. But oddly enough, I never said the word gay because even saying it meant opening that box a little bit. So it was like always in my head, like these thoughts were going in my head. But yeah, the deassociation the, the was really scary for me. And I didn't talk about it for like weeks. I just kept smiling and just, you know, just your, your body goes on survival mode. And then I sat with my counselor. And at that point, I felt like I was over the edge. Like I was like, I remember there was nights where like I was trembling and I would wake up sweating, um, really scared about what I was experiencing because on top of that, mental health within my upbringing and religion was not a thing. Like if something bad was happening to you, it was because the devil or a demon or a bad spirit got inside of you. So in that moment, it, it was like, is this what's happening? Because I'm denouncing the religion that I was brought in. Like, is are, are these things actually happening? And as much as I wanted to ground myself, because I'm a very rational person, I just couldn't. You know, and it was because all the traumas that I experienced was swirling in my head. And for the first time in my life, I was confronting them, right? And my counselor finally started to give me, which is why I love mental health professionals, they started to give me a new set of 
vocabulary words, a new set of words to describe what I was experiencing. And when I started to be like, wow, that's anxiety. Wow, that's derealization. Wow, that's deassociation. I'm not crazy. This is something that many people experience because of trauma, because of something that they experienced, right? The biggest part of all these conversations that I had with my counselor was Catholicism, like how much it, you know, brainwashed me essentially. For the straight person, the Bible makes a lot of sense. The characters are all straight. It's men and women. You know, there's no John and John holding hands. You know, there's none of that. And so I was trying to use that book as my guide towards healing in those moments. But in looking at the scriptures, because it's all interpretive, right? In looking, in looking in, 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 those, in the stories that I was told growing up, I couldn't latch on to anything. And I definitely couldn't latch on to the word God. Because at that moment in my life, I felt that this almighty loving individual, like, fucked me over big time. You know, that's how I felt. Those were the exact words that I was spitting out. God fucked me over. But I was like, wow, like, what what do I pray to, like, when I'm down? Or what, what do I look like? What does death look like? Because death was hell and heaven. And that was it, you know, in purgatory, which I never understood why. There was like a middle, you know. But anyways, I was questioning every single thing. And what really helped me get out of that situation one, it was my personality. I was like, there's no way in hell that I, in this I, in this moment, I haven't been to any pride. So I was like, there's no way in hell that I'm not going to survive this and not experience being around my people. So my need to find myself led me to healing. And then oddly enough, when we talked about it one time at, at a bar, I was at this yoga session. And in that yoga session, we were required to meditate. And I don't know what that experience was. It was so surreal, but it was me in this dark room, had no floors. I was like, you know, I was just there. And there was like a six, ver six or seven year old version of me, a 12 preteen, 12 year old preteen version of me. And then there was like the college version of me, the, the early 20 version of me. And I, you know, hugged the shit out of those, you know, versions of myself. You know, I remember being in that space and like finally hugging that six-year-old Jose who didn't have the hugs that he needed at that at that moment. Because I was bullied too. That was another factor. It wasn't just family. It was the environment, K, K through 12. You know, anytime that I came out with my personality, it was made fun of. I remember I hated the word like, not the word, but the question, are you gay? Like, it was like this secret thing uh, because you talk like a girl and this was pre-puberty. So I remember wanting to have a deep voice so bad so people could stop asking me. In high school, it got even worse because people started to date. And I remember really wanting to date so bad so that people can just leave me alone to the point where like I express like what I call now a really strong friendship <laughs> to a, a good friend of mine. She didn't reject me, but she was like, oh, I just got out of a relationship. Like, I'm not ready to get into another one. So that that was around that time. So yeah, that I didn't realize how much nurturing those versions of me needed. So before I can even continue on, 
with my gay identity and really take care of that, I had to go back in time almost daily and just look back at these moments that were me, that were authentically me and, and like take them and put them in my brain. In those moments where like I felt ashamed to go back and be like, no, there was nothing wrong with the way you were acting. There was nothing wrong with the way you were holding that spoon. There was nothing wrong with the way you were standing. What was wrong with society's view and idea that everyone is straight. And that was like my biggest argument with, with friends and family members. Like, why do you think that everyone that comes into the world is straight? And that to me was like the biggest issue with all the narratives that I've you know, heard throughout my lifetime. Someone mentioned in my family, like, because my sister's also gay. And it's interesting because we were really close growing up. But then when we got into our 20s, we sort of went our own ways. And it was because we were in our heads all the time. We were dealing with our own shit, right? And we couldn't tell each other that we were gay. You know, there was like this thing where like, you know, is she going to hate me or love me when we're both in the same boat? Like, you know, it, it was crazy. And someone mentioned like, it's crazy that 50% because there's four of us, there's four siblings, I'm the oldest, that 50% of the siblings are gay. Is it because you were born in the wrong body? And I was like, wait, what? Right? I was like, why are you surprised that 50% of my siblings are gay? That is the problem. Why can't we assume that the person will develop into whoever they need to develop into, whether straight or gay? Another family mentioned was like, oh, it's because of the environment. I was like, what? They're like, you're gay because of your environment. And I was like, I did everything in my fucking power to be straight. Like I did sports for a little bit. I really tried to date women. I really tried to like drench myself in the color blue at every moment of the day. And I was still gay, <laughs> you know? So how is it the, actually the environment is the reason why I was so detached from myself. Even the small things that, you know, the small chuckles that your uncles will make when there was a gay joke or something gay, you know, I would almost like laugh with them, but I, I was also like numb in the inside. So it was like a weird feeling like of laughing at myself, but also numbing myself from the shame. You know, you feel so ashamed all the time that that feeling you just numb and it becomes you, it becomes you. That's how I felt. So I was like this ashamed teenager, you know, young adult and that really affected, you know, how I became friends with people. Like I wanted to be around people who wouldn't ask me certain questions about who I was, you know? So there was a lot of surface relationships that I had, right? And when I became an adult, I needed more than surface leveled experiences, right? And and then getting to know people like you, right? Paula and Valentina, who, each have had very profound, deep spiritual journeys, I was like, okay, I'm not the only one that is seeking that journey, right? So right now, I really stand in, the, in a place, unfortunately, where I can't stand religion. Any sort of ritual or relic, like when I, when I see, because I grew up with Hail Mary, 
right? So relics of her everywhere, Jesus bleeding from a cross, like you name it, I've seen it. Uh, candles with saints on it, like I, I can't right now. Yeah, the the, pe- the pendulum swung for you. Oh yeah. Before I used to be like, oh yeah, yeah, just let me pray to these people, right? But now I'm like, I, I can't. And it isn't me not being open to the idea that maybe all that is true. But in my reality, it just doesn't make sense right now because everything that was told to me put me more down than up. And religion is supposed to be about uplifting people. But I only noticed in my congregation at mass that it was everybody else being uplifted except for someone like me. And that to me was like, it almost like made me mad. It was like, why can't my grandma talked about the need for prayer and to save the world and to repel demons, right? And it was like this really deep commitment to that idea. And I'm like, where, like, where's the link? Like me and my sister used to giggle (laughs) in church because we would be like kneeling down like this. And then we would both open our eyes and look at each other. And we would both be like, what is going on? And it was always about being damned. It would like, there was nothing positive in my church, right? So aside from being gay, if I was straight, right, if I, if I put on, if, you know, if I was magically straight, nothing was uplifting for me in Catholicism, at least within my congregation, right? There was, first of all, there was this huge attachment to, for example, the need to build like this massive new church. And I remember being like 11, this church is just fine. Are we supposed to be some humble mother effers, you know what I mean? Like, isn't that what our religion is about? And here we are like building this church when there's so many people in need. So there was lots of identity questions that I had in church and lots of worldly questions that I had within that experience. How are you able to start separating yourself from the self-hate that religion taught you to have? You know, because I, so when I've, I've worked with people and, and, and I've heard this, where there's a fear of denouncing that because on the other side of that is, you know, I'll go to hell. Like, I better just hate myself, but stick to my religion. How were you able to start freeing yourself from that? Well, I I think for me, the journey for self-love happened, like, I think maybe a year ago was the first time that I'm like, I love myself because I was in spaces that required my voice. And that voice gave me so much power. Earlier, I did get a little emotional, but now I don't even cry no more. It makes me angry when I hear things. And it almost like, I feel like I walked with the curved backbone for a long time, just kowtowing to, yes, yes, you're right. We're evil, we're disgusting. To the point where like, if I hear anything, like my back just straightens up and I listen, right? And how I got to self-love from the self-hate that in this specific case, Catholicism, and I would say Christianity because it falls under that same branch, in my yeah, opinion. for sure. It falls under that same branch. For um, sure. It wasn't just from my Catholic brothers and sisters. It was from like the really good Christians at my school that were just spouting so much hate. So it's like you love when it's convenient and within your circle. But if it falls out of that, you fucking hate it. It's for incongruent. Me, yeah, it's like, it's like. That's incongruent. Because well, if religion, you know, the whole message of Christ was love. And if that's what we're trying to arrive at, how are people, it's just, it's incongruent. It's like we've played a game of telephone and misinterpreted the message. Because how are you yeah. going to arrive at, at more of that energy of love by 
exiling essentially some of our brothers and sisters and condemning them to hate themselves. I, I mean, that doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah, it didn't for me, but I, I went with it. And like I said, a year ago is when I finally said, like, I, I like, I fucking love you. Like, I can, I was not, the more I started to love myself, the less deassociated I became. And what really sparked this journey was like finding love for the first time. So up until that point, I've never had a relationship. I was the Hail Mary, you know, I was the virgin. Uh, yeah, I was just very innocent on many, many different things. And I tried the grinder situation, it's a whole bunch of penises just thrown at you. So I'm like, nah, I'm not there yet, you know, <laughs> left and right. It was like, hi, how are you, penis? Right. That's, a, that's actually another um, piece of the conversation that I've noticed comes up too. It's just that I think there's been so much shame and repression in the gay culture that by the time that people start expressing their sexuality, sometimes the pendulum swings and it gets expressed very aggressively. Yes. And there's a lot of people in the in the gay community that actually don't want that. They would like to be able to develop relationships in a calm way where it's not rooted in in like a rebellion from the shame, but just yeah. we're moving towards love. So we don't have to throw penises yeah. around so, so aggressively. Like if you want to, yeah. it's fine, but just is it rooted in shame? Hey, you know, know grinder's not for everybody. I realized really quickly it wasn't for me. Because um, I was always like, I want to date, you know, I was like that, that guy. Um, and it just never really went into anything. And I get it. I mean, Grinder is like, some days you're just horny. And hey, there's somebody who's just as horny, right? But I, I wasn't, yes, I was horny. So I wanted to know that. But I was just so scared because that shame was still there. It was like AIDS, HIV, like you're going to die from, from having sex with another guy. So there was no, like, I couldn't just jump into a hookup, right? Long story short, I fell in love with my current boyfriend, Oscar, and yes, we're long distance, and that's a whole different conversation, but I was actually thankful that it was long distance because there was just so much going in my head and in my spaces all the time that I don't think the relationship would have been successful if, it, if he was my escape because him not being here really forced me to look at all these different things going on and to not be scared of confronting them. One of them was coming out, obviously, to my parents. That was really my first, that was the first time that I stood up for myself. I didn't know it was an act of self-love, but it was when I look back because it was the first time that I said, Jose, you're allowed to breathe. It's not you that has to like acclimate to someone else's reality, it's them taking their turn now. Because I did it with their, you know, with their reality. So that that in itself was the beginning, right, to the healing of self-hate. And then the relationship, as I mentioned, and actually feeling human. I was like, wow, this is what love feels like, you know? This is what, well, in the beginning, it was liking. You know, this is what liking another person of the same sex actually is, you know? And it's such a beautiful experience to, like, listen to, it's going to sound a little bit weird, but listening to his traumas too was soothing because I was like, I've been through that or I haven't been through that, but we're both sharing these feelings, right? So we were almost like healing each other, you know, and growing with one another in that relationship. You know, it was the first time that I, that I got all those feelings that I wish I got as a teenager. So you would hear your friends talk about like the butterflies in the stomach and like first kisses and stuff. And I didn't have that. So I was always kind of like envious of that. Right. And so when it happened, it felt really good. And I was like, I want more of whatever this feeling is, this moment, like I want it 
replicated tenfold, right? Having more gay friends to really help with self-love, seeing other people be so confident in who they are or who they're becoming was like, I want to, I, I want that. You know, people who can be out at a bar or at a restaurant or at the store and be completely fluorescent with no shame in whichever form that person takes it, right? Then I also had a friend, Wes, and he was actually the first person that I, it's almost like I accidentally came out to him. And this is, I would say 2015, 2016, really. And we met through Instagram. You know, he talked about his journey. I think he knew that I was gay. <laughs> you know, I think the gaydar was going off. But I mentioned something along the lines that I was too, or I was in that journey, but I wasn't really comfortable with it. But it was like so nice to have exposure. And he has been there even before my boyfriend uh, in many ups and, and lows. So I was fortunate enough to have somebody who went through what I went through and who is in a loving and beautiful relationship with a partner of seven years, seven or eight years. Or maybe I'm wrong. So Wes, if you hear this, I apologize. But along those lines, a long lasting loving relationship. So I was like, this is, so people need to exist out in the world. And then slowly coming out to my friends and seeing that they weren't like melting when I told them that I was gay, <laughs> um, really was like, okay, so if I continue to, to be me, there's going to be even more love, like real authentic love, not surface leveled because you're part of the same church and community, you know, because, you know, at, at church, it was always like, hey, how are you? Great, bye. You know, God bless you. And when I started to move away from surface level relationships and, and really dive into more heavy, realistic, sad and happy, like every emotion that you can think of, which is you two, you know, you guys talked about everything that you guys have been through mental health wise with your anxiety. It really, it really humanized it for me. You're describing relationships where you allow yourself to be seen. Yep. And maybe some people do experience that at church. If they happen to fit into the heteronormative standards, then it's okay. They, it's okay, yeah. you know, and they, and they align with the values and they can be seen. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. And when we're in spaces where we believe that we don't deserve to be seen, Mm -hmm. Or that to be seen would bring on serious repercussions and we form shame around our identity. That's, that's consistent stress over time. It's consistent exactly. stress over time and consistent stress over time like that on a daily basis turns into trauma. That is yeah. trauma when you can't, you can't walk through the world as who you are without constantly fearing of some, of being discovered. I mean that, you know, it's scary. It's a constant feeling of fear in your body. Oh, 100%. I remember, like, what happens if my parents, I don't know, see a text message or see anything gay, what what would happen? Which is even when I came out at first, I remember saying things like, I'm, I'm gay, but I'm not like that gay. You know, I'm not like them. Because mm -hmm. in, in doing that, I was still safe within heteronormacy. You know, my hetero friends who are not really exposed to a lot of gay people, okay with me being gay in this way, then that safety net, that acceptance, it's like there, right? Like I was feeling a part of something, but then that gets kind of old real quick because you realize that you're not really taking the time to understand the extent of your humanity. Like that's how I felt. I felt kind of stagnant for a little bit. I was like, I need more like gay something. Like I need something that's completely the opposite of what I have seen and drag came into that like during the pandemic especially like I dove into RuPaul 
And the reason why I say that RuPaul's Drag Race is because I went to my first drag show with my friend Wes. He lives in South Carolina. And like, it was fun, but I was so uncomfortable seeing another guy dressed like a woman and impersonate like the singer or whatever. It, I was like, he, he, ha, ha, ha. But I was so uncomfortable. And I was like, why the fuck am I uncomfortable if I'm in a gay space now? Like, this is what you've been craving for all your life. And you're uncomfortable in it. And I was looking and I would look at other guys and how they were dressed. And it was like, at that moment, I realized that I needed to step away from my heteronormative environment ASAP and to drench it with a little bit more color. Yeah, well, what you're describing, uh, that would be internalized homophobia. I was, I, I was, and I, and there's still parts of me that deal with that. Yeah, it's the same as like internalized racism, you know, it's, it's taking these I would I would say uh, systems of thought that are aimed at controlling people and oppressing some and and internalizing it and and hating ourselves on behalf of the system. You, you know, my my when I was in in one of my therapy sessions, I came to realize that I was homophobic, like I was one homophobic fucker is what I would say in that moment that identity, and I say it in that way because. Here I am trying to be, you know, trying to finally embrace my gayness and I'm rejecting so many things every single day. So I was kind of relapsing into self-hate in a way. And I said, you know what, I'm going to watch Drag Race because it makes me uncomfortable. Like I literally had that conversation with myself. It was like, I can't believe that I'm having a conversation with myself about watching something that's for me, you know, mm -hmm. something finally on television that's representative of me and as I got through the seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race, everybody's journey was so similar to mine. And I and I came to the conclusion, and actually I, I fucking love drag because it's a big fuck you to gender norms. It's a big F you to everything that has been seen as or considered normal, you know? And all these guys talk about like, I don't want to be a woman, you know, but I'm embracing my feminine side it's coming to live. It's a show. It's art. It's it's a form of art, right? And that really inspired me to even like start exploring queerness through my art because I was so afraid of like having something queer related in my art early on, right? Because my parents were looking at these photos. My uncles were looking at these, like people that hoped with all their guts that I was straight were looking at these things, right? And RuPaul would say things along the lines of like, if you can't love yourself, who the hell, you know, is going to love you essentially, right? And I was like, you know what, you're actually, I was talking to the TV and I was like, you're absolutely fucking right. You know, if I can't love myself, then who is? And I misquote him and, you know, which is really bad. But at that moment, I was like looking for somebody to love me so I can love myself. And I realized that that's not how it works. I have to love myself first right because mm -hmm. no one in in no matter if you're gay straight or whatever you whatever part of the beautiful umbrella that we live in that you fall under you are your first love you know it has to be that way like you have to wake up in the morning and tell yourself that you love yourself that you are fine the way you are because what will happen is and what was happening with me is that i was hoping that someone else would say it for validation and if they said it then it was okay for me to say it and that's why when I started to come out, I got to a point where I wasn't caring about what people were. I still care, I won't lie, but not as much as 
in the beginning because there was this fear of rejection. But honestly, that was the world telling me that this person doesn't belong in your space, the space that you're controlling. And anxiety sometimes, for the most part, is about losing control, this idea that you won't have it. And so I still deal with the association sometimes, to be honest. You know, it's still like this reoccurring theme in my life sometimes. But I don't get scared anymore. I sort of ask myself, like, why? Like, what am I trying to detach myself from this time? You know, so it's become like a like a survival mechanism in a way, but yeah. in a healthy way. It's like, oh, shit, I don't want to go through this journey again. But yeah, it was just like this drenching of queerness all the time. Wanting something gay in front of me, whether it was RuPaul or another friend or content on my Instagram, like whatever way that I can like have a full belly of, of gay anything or a presentation representation or presentation matters representation oh, and exposure I think what, what you practice with yourself was essentially a form of exposure therapy because when we've received these messages to hate certain parts of our identity for so long you internalize them there's a, a part in you that there's a part of you that actually embodies that patriarchal hate of you know hundred percent non-heteronormative stuff and, and and to 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 start kind of weaning that and getting off of that away yeah. from that it does it will require some of that exposing yourself and saying okay actually no this isn't all sin look at that my friend has a beautiful relationship with his partner they've been together for seven years there there is so much love to be found in this community and it's going to require me exposing myself to people that are embodying that yeah. Until I'm able to accept it within myself. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have said it any better. And, you know, I didn't have a teacher telling me that. It was Valentina and I were, were catching up, you know, right before the podcast. And she was talking about how, like, the spirits and the world just kind of put her in L.A., right? Something about the world, when I opened up to myself, was almost like, guiding me and pushing me like over the edge to seek these things like I can't explain I was like I got to a point where I was crying all the time but I was like okay well shouldn't being gay make me happy like you're, you're you, you've done the hard part which to me was coming out to my parents right because like it or not your parents validation especially in the in the queer community is super important it's super important you know even even though I said you know, loving myself comes first. There's just something special about your mom saying it or your dad saying that that just almost like weakens your bones sometimes. You know what I mean? When when it comes from them. And like the heart the hardest part was when I came out to my father, it was like like I wouldn't say a disappointment, but it was like he was almost hoping that I was confused or bisexual, like that I would come around some, you know, some way and it really made me sad because I think, you know, I knew and it was said by them in that in that conversation that, you know, when I came out, they said something along the lines of like, I told you, you know, like he was talking to my mom, like I told you he was gay. My mom's like, well, I just thought he was just busy with school and that, 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 you know, it was like almost like this escape from what was really in front of them, right? Like my child is gay, but society and how how they grew up, they grew up in Mexico, conservative small you know small city and so like it i realized then that how how important my parents were to me but especially their validation you know so now 
with them only, they're the only people in the world where like my heart will soften for certain things, which can also be like detrimental at points. They're the only person in the world and my siblings that I will put the effort in meeting them halfway with my sexuality. This isn't to say that I'm moving back, but I love them so much that even though their opinion does weigh a little bit on me to an extent, I'm not going to jump over to their side completely anymore with their worldview. What I'm hearing is that you're saying that like you're going to you practice compassion towards their their yeah. because it because, because you still, love them. Yeah. Just because you love them. Yeah. And with their religion too, they're still Catholic, practicing Catholics. I think that's such a strong message to people who are maybe thinking about coming out to their parents and thinking, what if they reject me entirely? Mm -hmm. And, and I'm not saying that's what your parents did, but just to know that they're, they don't need to, while it would be amazing to have them be like, oh, we don't care. We love you no matter yeah. what, you know, the best possible, just to know that you, you're still going to be okay if mm -hmm. they can't accept the entirety of your sexuality. It's not like, cause I, I, I would think that the, and correct me if I'm wrong. It's like the biggest fear is like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my family. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And for those out there who are in a situation where they they lost their parents in that journey, remember that you now have the ability to create your own family, the family that really loves you, right? So my parents, you know, for I mean, I was uh, the oldest of four, the oldest son, the oldest grandson, the oldest nephew, the oldest cousin, like there was so much pressure for me uh, in many different aspects of my life, but um, the coolest part about being gay is that you you don't have to follow the heteronormative recipe to being happy in life. And in my context, it was like getting married by like 20-something, like my parents and having kids and having a house. And like, I realized that there are many houses out there that have really lonely souls inside of them because they've never really taken the time to nourish themselves. And I see that with my parents now, like they were so young when they had me and the magical thing about hitting rock bottom is not only coming out of it and making your own family in, in the queer context that I'm talking about, but also like, I don't know what it is, but I'm more, I don't know if the word empathetic is the right word. Yeah, I'm more empathetic, but I can sense energy in a much controlled way where like, if my brother is down, I can tell that something's off because I'm not in my head so much anymore there's a lot more clarity and i know what it's like to suffer you know once you hit rock bottom and you go through something so traumatic like what i went through you almost like there's at least for me there's this inclination of wanting to stop it for somebody else mm -hmm. right or to give my ear because i had many listening ears right and now i have substance i have experiences to be like i get it you know, especially anxiety, or I get these moments of depression, right? I'm no mental health expert, obviously, by any, by any means, but you do, I guess I'm more human is what I'm saying. Once you feel human, you know, it, it just makes you want to bond with other humans too. Yeah. Whereas before it was so rigid, it was like men, women, and like Catholics and Muslims. And like, now it's like, I want to be in spaces where like, great, I'm glad you practice. Catholicism, because I have no choice. The people that I love still practice it, right? 
but let's like not talk about the end of the world let's talk about like what makes us happy let's talk about what brings in love to to us you know so even having power over the conversations sometimes for me has helped with the healing because before it was just damn day like everybody's damned everybody's going to hell pray 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 you know ritual 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 and now i can have these conversations i can say penis and not feel like i'm like something bad's going to happen to me yeah well this was a really important conversation to bring into um this mental health convo that we're having because i mean it's no secret that the lgbtqi community has pretty high rates of mental health challenges. And it's mm. not because there's something inherently wrong with, it's because of everything that you just described. You know, mm -hmm. as human beings, the number one thing that we need is love and connection. Yeah. And when you have a whole system and a whole society of people telling you that you're not worthy of that connection, I mean, what's gonna happen? You're gonna live in fear. You're gonna get depressed. Mm. And so, bringing you on and doing, you know, whatever we can within our spectrum of, of community to increase representation, to increase the communication around this and to normalize the full yeah, spectrum 100%. of sexuality. You know, that's what we can do to help reduce these numbers. I mean, it's wild. I was actually, I was looking through it before we jumped on um, this podcast and it's just LGBTQIA youth and young adults have a hundred and twenty percent higher risk of experiencing homelessness. I, I believe that. And it's often as a result of being rejected by their families. And so it's not always safe. It's not always safe. Like I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah. Really. Like sometimes it takes getting to a place where it's like, okay, just then if if you have to, you know, if you have to measure out and balance out like triage it you know if you have to wait till you're 18 to move out and then come out when you have more control over your world then it might be safer to do it that way because we do have to recognize like the bigger spectrum of like the majority of our civilization or our society has not turned the corner we've made big strides but there's still a very fundamentalist religion under root that is driving a lot of belief systems so and in the meantime, if, if you can't come out, if you are stuck in a position, there are so many community groups that at least you can build your world online. It's not ideal, but you know, I think of Brenda from God is Gray, who we had on the podcast a few episodes ago or in the beginning. And she, you know, her entire life is dedicated to creating a community for people who basically have been shunned by religion and people who basically are getting told by religion left and right that they're going to hell. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's one, I recognize my privilege because I can break myself down in many different pieces. I was privileged enough to have parents that didn't say, go away. And back to what you all were saying, like, I, there's a reason also why I waited because that's like, you know, I tell my parents that I'm gay in high school and it's like, there goes my support system. Um, in college, there goes my support system. And now I'm in a much better place financially, obviously, right, um, than when I was 18. So it was an accumulation, as I said before, of how I got here. Um, but for those that are still, one piece of advice is if you're in the closet, quote unquote, when you come out, don't limit to what you can be. Because we start to kind of hide back into, like I said earlier, our hetero self, because it's it's a shield, right? And in doing that, I, I realize now that I was maybe hurtful with some of the things that I said about members of my own community in that journey it's like if you want love then you have to be open to giving it to it's it's a it's a it's a channel that goes both ways 
So I couldn't just come out and just be like, love me. I also had to do loving myself. Yeah, well, I, I the journey of, of healing from religious trauma in regards to homosexuality or social trauma in regards to homosexuality is not just in getting towards more freedom is not just coming out oh yeah that's a big step but then it's releasing your own internalized homophobia a hundred percent because it's there Mm -hmm. and then if you can do those two things you know luckily if you're living in america at least there's a lot of space for you to live a pretty free life. Cause I mean, we can't say every country it's still some kind mm -mm, it's not mm -hmm. even, I, there's countries where it's still actually illegal. So, yeah. you know, we're on this journey, becoming more human every, every day. There's more love, there's movements happening. There's hope. We're just going to add our little flame to that <laughs> fire, our little spark. No, a hundred percent. And before we go, we always ask everyone who comes on, what is the definition of mental health for you? And what does it what does it mean for you right now in your life? Mental health for me at this moment is being able to walk around in a store or walk into a place and no longer have my heart rate go up or feel ashamed of how I'm just simply walking. That to me is like, it gives me so much peace at mind that I am, like I said earlier, I, I have a, a new sense of confidence in myself. And that to me is what keeps me going every single day, wanting to discover a little piece of me. You know, it's, it's almost like you're, like I said earlier, your body, like I'm 28, but sometimes I feel like I'm my 14 year old self because I just didn't have enough time. And like I said, mental health is really just like not being ashamed of, of those small things anymore going in rabbit holes because I did this or said that or don't believe in this anymore. Just allowing yourself to be seen. Just, yeah, just allowing myself to just be. And feeling proud and, and having, like you said earlier, a, a straight back as you move through the world. A hundred percent. A sense of dignity in who you are, regardless of what narratives may or may not be out there. Exactly. Love that. All right, Jose, thank you so much for being on our podcast and for showing up so authentically and being so raw and open. I know your words are going to be so healing for everyone who hears this. No, thank you for having me on here. And, you know, you two have been a part of my journey. So it's it's just awesome to give back in any way. And what you guys do is amazing. And I'm sure it touches all corners of people's humanity in some sort of way. God is gray. I listened to that one. And even though I'm not a woman who came, who grew up in that environment, it made me more empathetic to women who do experience that, you know, so just continue doing what you guys are doing. And thank you for having me and feel free to cut off anything or whatever because I ramble. So don't, you know, <laughs> no, we're not out of my words. You know? <laughs> Where can everyone find you if they want to go see you, see your photography, just have someone, I think, cause I think what's so beautiful is now that you one more time made yourself seen, I know so many people are going to want to just, even if you're not out here talking about all the time on your platform, like just yeah. to see there is someone out there who went through what I went through and look at them or what I am going through and look at them blooming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can find me. I'm up, I'm usually on Instagram. It's E-R-R-E-Z, Ares, the last, if I can count five or six letters of my last name, Gutierrez. So not that creative on that regard, but again, E-R-R-E-Z, you know, if you're out there alone or confused, just like send me a DM, you know, it's how I met Valentina and through Valentina, I met 
Paula. So do not be afraid to reach out if you need a listening ear, because I know that really helped me a lot. And go look at his beautiful work. It's incredible. I'm going to go look at it. Again. And that too. And that too. <laughs> All right, Jose. Thank you so much for coming on. We love you. We love, love you. you. All right. We'll see each other soon. Yes. Mwah. Please. Bye. Mwah. Bye. Bye. All right, Pretty Mental family, thank you so much for tuning in with us and sharing the space with us as Jose talked about his story. Make sure you tune in every Monday at 6 a.m. EST. And los queremos mucho. Los queremos mucho. Be kind to yourselves out there. Connect with us on Instagram at Pretty Mental Official. We always love hearing from you. Hell yeah. Come talk to us. Peace out. Bye, guys. Bye.